podcast. This is your host, Lindsay Rowland. Happy to kick off my first interview today on this podcast. Our special guest today is Mr. Jacob Turner. He is not only a friend, but also a Republican congressional candidate for Missouri District 8. Turner is on the ballot in the Republican primary on August 2nd, 2022. Good morning. Good morning, ma'am. It's good to see you. You as well. Uh, first off, can you tell us a little bit about your background that brought you to this point today? Uh, yes, ma'am. I was born and raised here in this district. This has always been home for me. Um, after high school, I went in the United States Marine Corps, where I served eight years, uh, deployed um, of active duty service. Now, after my time in the Marine Corps, I came back home, was happy to come back home, and we started a small business. And I started to see a lot of the issues that small business owners face uh, in our district, especially, you know, being more focused on 8th District. And then I started to see a lot of other issues popping up as I was trying to further my business and further my education. Uh, a lot that we, you know, we've talked about with the lockdowns and such, uh, the excess of spending that the government uh, has, you know, been doing over the last five years. And it's it's reached a what I think is a almost a point of no return when it comes to, I believe, over $30 trillion. And it motivated me, you know, I want a bright future for the next generation, for my children and, and for, and for you, you know, the, the viewers, children, I want them to have an opportunity to have success and to be able to find employment and to fulfill their dreams and to live in the America that we were promised as, as when we were young. So it motivated me to run for office. And I seen a seat that uh, a lot of promises were being made. However, they weren't being fulfilled. And I knew that I could be the one to do it. And so we kicked the race off and here we are. That's awesome. Um, now, I'm sure your family's supporting you, but tell me a little bit about how your family feels about this run. Well, you know, uh, I think when you get into something that's an unknown, you know, we're not a political family. We're not from a political background. Nobody's a politician in my family. We've never done anything like this before other than, you know, leaving for the Marine Corps. That's the most uh, adventurous thing that we had done. You know, we're, we're a, a normal everyday family. Uh, so I think there was a little bit of what are we getting ourselves into? You know, what's the schedule going to be like? Are we going to be able to accomplish all the things that we wanted to do as a young family? And uh, we have, we've made time for it and it's been a great adventure. We have met so many good people in this district and they are more motivated than ever uh, to see this succeed. You know, my daughter, uh, she's eight years old. She keeps talking about how she better be able to vote. So we are going to have to set up a fake voting booth in the uh, kitchen so that she can get her vote in because she is going to be extremely upset if she doesn't get to cast her vote for her father. So that uh, is yeah. absolutely adorable. And the fact that she wants to vote at eight is just shows the great parenting, right? <laughs> oh, I, I appreciate that. I have two lovely daughters, two beautiful daughters. I'm very blessed. My wife and I are very blessed. And, uh, but that, you know, she's excited. She keeps drawing up little posters so that she can show her, show her friends and say, it says vote for Turner. Uh, so she's, she's really into this. And she told me the other day, she goes, you know what, dad, I want to, when I grow up, I want to give speeches like you do. So she's been going to all the rallies and she's been going to the events. And uh, the other day we were driving down the road and I heard her uh, chatting a little bit and I, I turned around and I, you know, I was like, oh, what are you, what are you saying? She goes, I'm practicing my speeches. <laughs> so I have a little video clip where she's giving her speech and she's like, how is it? Is my speech good? So, uh, you know, I think I could get behind voting for little miss Darcy. She's, uh, she's for, you know, 
anti-foreign conflict and for treating people good is what the speech uh, entailed. So I could vote for Miss uh, Mrs. Turner in the future. How adorable. Yeah, Miss um, Turner. So I wanted to jump. Well, yeah. Well, let me ask you this. How is your schedule? Is it because now you're still running your businesses, right? So how are you? What does your schedule look like? And are you traveling a lot? I am. Yeah, we've been traveling all over the district. So um, I work, I have a full-time business uh, that I run as delivery routes. And I manage most of that from my home office. So by telephone. And I my my busy time with that job comes at the end of the month when I start to get payroll ready. But luckily, I've been doing this for so long that it's become second nature. And I have a really easy process of, of getting through it each month. So it doesn't take up as much time as it used to. I also uh, work a full-time job on the ambulance to fund this campaign. So 10, 24-hour shifts a month, I'm on the ambulance. I just came off of one this morning. So you haven't slept. I haven't slept for 24 hours. So that's, Hey, that's, that's, that's the, uh, that's the life though. You know, when we, we want something, we're dedicated. I'm willing, you know, and I think I get that from my mother was a workhorse, you know, she was willing to fight and work for whatever, you know, I grew up watching her. Uh, she had a desire. She had something she wanted. She went after it. She was an inspiration to me, you know, and I'm willing to make those sacrifices and, and have those hard days to build a brighter future for the, for the rest of the people in eighth district. Absolutely. Um, so that, so does that mean, um, was campaigning well, did campaigning work out well for you or are you pretty much funding your campaign on your own? No, we, we got into the process of, we were accepting donations from local voters. Uh, but one of the big things here in eighth district that people don't like is they don't like the fact that politicians accept money from corporations, big donors. They don't like that here in eighth district. They're very turned off by that idea. And so we decided, and we didn't like it either. We're not for corporate bailouts. We're not for those things. So we decided that we would try something different. We would try to do a self-funded and we would ask that instead of a donation, you tell 10 people about the campaign, get involved, take human action. Let's try something different. And it's amazing how fast things have spread through this district because they're like, we've never seen this before. There's no politician who just hasn't accepted any money. And I told them, you know, you know, I, on the last time I was asked, can we make a donation? I said, hey, keep your money because inflation's high. Gas prices are through the roof. You all need your money more than I do. Um, I need your voice. I need you to take action. If you believe in me, you believe in this message. I need you to get out and get involved. Let's become activists. Let's show people that we believe in this message. And it takes time out of our, you know, time is money, though. So and technically they are giving money. It's just they're giving their valuable time. They could be doing anything. And, and here, that's why the campaign team has grown so big is because these young people, they see what the future has in store for them. They see this tremendous amount of debt that's about to be laid in their lap. They see that uh, we're sending $40 billion to a foreign country where our babies can't be fed. They see these things and they want better. And they're willing to get involved and to donate their time to, to make those, make this happen. And I'm very lucky. You know, if we pull this off, I think it might be the first time it's ever been done in, in U.S. congressional history. So it's, it's pretty big. I yeah, know. that's very unique because um, I do a lot. I've done a lot of interviews with candidates and I've never heard it being done that way. So good on you. Yeah. 
Okay, so I want to jump into this question um, because this is exciting to me. So uh, you recently changed political parties from a libertarian to a Republican, and that's a unique situation. Um, please tell our listeners and your listeners at home um, how that worked out, why you did that, and what was that transition like? Um, were you, you received well by the party? And please elaborate on that because it's very interesting to me. Yeah, for sure. So I grew up a Republican. I was a Republican um, all the way up until probably about four years ago. And I started to see how in the first term of uh, President Trump's time in office, I watched how Republicans in office, the politicians, didn't support him. I watched how they sat on their hands. They threw a tantrum because he wasn't one of them, uh, one of their in crowd, one of their political figures. They wanted one of them, you know, one of the other members of the swamp, per se. Right. And so they really they really held him down and it cost them a lot of seats in midterms. And then the Democrats ended up taking a lot of seats. And uh, I lost a lot of faith in the Republican politicians, not the party. And I started looking into the options. And, and then one of, my, uh, one of my biggest role models was Ron Paul. So I've always had a libertarian uh, philosophy. I've lived by the idea that you should be able to live your life how you see fit, be free, so long as you don't hurt anyone or hurt their stuff. We should live in a free country. You know, that's that's always been my philosophy. So I guess I've been libertarian uh, as well as being in the Republican Party. And Ron Paul was a libertarian who ran as a Republican and was in office for over 20 years. So or I'm I'm on the spectrum of libertarian. There There is right wing and there's left wing. The difference between Republican and Democrat and then right wing and left wing libertarian is we don't feel the government should have force on people's lives. Uh, and they, we don't feel that we don't believe in authoritarianism. So I feel you should be able to pursue life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness as we were promised. And it shouldn't be uh, it shouldn't be stifled. Small business shouldn't be stifled by government. Your ma'am, your audio is dropped. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yep. Um, was there repercussions at all with the Libertarian Party? No, not at all. They, you know, the Libertarian Party knows that I have, I have strong beliefs in liberty and in freedom. A lot of people don't don't understand what libertarianism is. You know, I think that they think liberal. They just think that extreme liberals, but that's not it at all. Uh, libertarians are what a lot of people in our district who want Republicans. They're wanting Republicans that are libertarian minded. They're wanting people that are pro Second Amendment, that are uh, pro small government, who are for getting the, the federal government out of our state and allowing us to to have more power and giving states more power. Uh, these are things that they want anyways, and these are things that we agree upon. Uh, so it made me the perfect candidate to come in and be the real Republican that they needed. And the Republican Party was there with open arms or the the establishment was not okay well, so that, i was wondering that, about that. that's where that's where conflict came in which i knew there was going to be conflict uh they they want the establishment in our district they want to choose the winner of the election they don't want the people to choose they want to pick and choose so they have little tactics that they use to stifle you as an opponent you know they they block you on certain facebooks from speaking to the base you know they uh they they won't uh for instance, you have these things called Lincoln Days. You go to Lincoln Days. Some of them they'll give 
the guest speaker spot to the incumbent for 30 minutes. They give you five minutes to introduce yourself. Well, that automatically puts you at a disadvantage and they're doing it on purpose. Um, it's just a little process, but we expected that, you know, even, even all the Republicans, they know that the establishment is no good. And they know that they're the reason that the Republican party has had such a hard time at finding success. We could, we could have so much more success in this country if we could just kind of clean those, uh, as Trump would say, the swamp creatures out, right? Well, great. This is a great segue to talk talk about Trump. Do you think that there is a possibility for a Trump endorsement? So before I was in the race, a few years back, a couple races ago, Jason Smith, my opponent, was the only one in the race. He was the only Republican. So when Trump came to our area, he was the only Republican that Trump met and, and, and discussed things with, and he was already a sitting congressman. So at that time, Trump had given him the endorsement a few years ago. There was no other Republicans. At this time, we have people pursuing contacting Trump uh, to ask him to rescind uh, the endorsement of uh, Jason Smith. And uh, I believe that I should be the rightful owner of that uh, endorsement because, you know, I'm not out here spending the $40 billion being sent. I'm not making these choices that are anti-Republican. Uh, I'm not voting against Infamil, uh, helping out with the baby formula. These bad decisions and choices that this man is making, I, I don't feel that Trump should support him. And I and a lot of other people in our district are asking questions. They want to know, are you still going to support this guy? They want they want answers from Trump. Well, is there, um, and educate me on this, isn't there a time limit for endorsements? Like, wouldn't Trump just normally endorse someone new now? Or because Smith's been in office for a while, so. Yeah, he's the career politician that Trump railed on against for so long. You know, he, he you know, he's become, he's one of those that, uh, he always uses, uh, the, you know, he talks about these career politicians, but he, he's been a career politician since the age of 24. You know, he's the, he is becoming the establishment. Um, I mean, I do think if it's spun correctly, uh, he, cause Trump could spin it as like, he switched to the Republican party and, you know, cause you know, Trump's always got to spin on things. And I think you could really, it could be a success story for Trump if he talks about it correctly, because you did make the switch over. So Right. Um, and then we've seen like with like J.R. Majewski and J.D. Vance that like J.D. Vance spoke out against Trump and then J.R., you know, decorated his lawn with Trump, uh, you know, with the Trump uh, mural. So it's just interesting how like he came around about J.D. Vance when he didn't like the other opponents. And so I think that Trump has a way of spinning things, too. But I have heard and this is new. I heard that Trump is not endorsing anybody uh, right now because and you have a little bit of time uh, before your primary. But because his 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 choices haven't been always uh, the one that wins. And so I have heard that he feels that he's losing a, a power base and so he's not going to endorse anymore but that's just what i his people are kind of putting out right now and it could be inaccurate information yeah and it's not so uh so important for the people of our district that we receive the endorsement it's important that he rescinds it from a republican who's not living up that's what okay. it's you know that's what the biggest thing that it's important you know to the people of our district and that's what you see on my campaign page in the comments people people want uh want this guy to answer for these these votes that he's he's cast okay absolutely now since we are talking about jason smith anyway so you came let our so our listeners know and your listeners know that you came to dc and did a speech at one of the rallies and it was a really good speech and we're excited to have you here in dc and your team 
Um, so we'll talk to me about, and then I don't know if you want me to mention this, but I'm just going to, anyways, you tried to have a meeting with Jason Smith and he just would not do it. Um, right. you couldn't true. get in, Yeah. Truth. Yeah. And we couldn't get into the Capitol at the time because you had to be invite only because of COVID. So that was kind of a dick move. Um, and right. has Jason's, well, let's talk about Jason Smith. He's been in for eight years, right? No, he's been in for much longer. Uh, he okay. got in. Yeah. He's been in, I, I believe in this seat for, uh, 12. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so how did you feel about him not meeting with you? And has he met with you yet? I mean, after you left DC, because it's been a while since you've been here. We have met, we've met oh. uh, on several occasions at this time, but it's not been uh, by his choice. It's been because we're at the same uh, events. So, you know, he's kind of forced to, you know, to, and, and there's been a little bit of, uh, you know, rivalry there, but uh We've also had some decent talks to where, you know, we kept it professional. Did you offer to debate him yet? Oh, I've tried. Yeah, he doesn't. He's not going to debate. We we've challenged him. Of uh, you know, on you know online, we've reached out. We've reached out in person. Uh, I met with him at one of the Lincoln days and challenged him to a debate. He, and he said it wouldn't happen. So he he says the schedule's too busy. Right. Yeah, that that just robs the people of an opportunity to hear uh, the difference in ideas of which way this this district should go. Yeah, I think the people deserve the right to to have a debate or to hear a debate between you guys, especially because he's been in so long. um, And I think you would crush him. And I don't I've never heard him speak, but I think you would crush him in a debate because obviously if he's not doing it, there's a reason why he doesn't want to debate you. So there definitely is a reason, you know, a lot of the professionals in campaigning will, will tell an incumbent if they have a lot to risk like he does. You know, if there's an opportunity that somebody like me could get up on the stage and then win it over, that's that's a that's a huge blow to, to his ability to. And it also it builds my name. Right. Mm-hmm. So he wants to avoid saying my name as much as possible. They've you know, I've I've been told by members that are close to him that they've been told not to even bring my name up. You know, because anytime they say my name, it gives validity to the campaign. It, it brings eyes and attention that there is another candidate. And uh, so it's on us fully to get our name out there and to spread the message. So yeah, name recognition is big. In the 12 years that he's been in, has anyone ever ran against him or has he always been the single incumbent or the, I, the single? Yeah, well, it'd be incumbent. And then um, has he always been the only one in the race? No, he he's had a few years where there have been other people. It's just I don't think anybody's mounted a campaign to to our size or uh, with the level of professionals that we have working on the team to get this done. I think we're the first time he's had a real challenger. Okay, I want to switch topics a little bit to get to know you um, and your listeners to get to know you a little bit more. I'm sure they know you very well, but just to put out the information again. What would be your top uh, three priority? Your top three priorities once elected. Number one is working on the economy, is uh, trying to reestablish order and try to work uh, to take uh, to get this inflation down. One of the big things we have to do is we have to cut the excess spending, the printing of money. We've seen that every time they they have these large amounts of printing of money, it devalues the United States dollar and it robs the American people of purchasing power. And that's the issue that we're seeing currently. You know, over the last, what is it, two, three years, we've had a 
huge amount of money. I believe a total of uh, 60 to 70% of all money ever created in the United States has been created over the last three years. And so when you water the economy down with money, okay, it devalues because there's more of it. What makes money valuable is the, is the small supplies, a limited supply. And that's basic, that's basic economics. And it's odd that they don't realize what kind of problems they're calling uh, they're causing a lot of these stimuluses that you know they they cause more problems than than good it's a temporary uh fix uh and it's it's just it kicks the can further down the road so working to strengthen the economy is is a big one for us um looking to strengthen our borders is a must uh because that goes back to the economy as well and it goes back to protecting uh protecting our people, making sure that our borders are safe. Any country uh, should have strong borders. That's what makes a country a country is having that, those lines drawn. And we can't afford uh, to be spending the amount of money that we are on people that aren't ours at this time. We don't have the economy for it. And number three would be fighting against foreign interventions. Uh, we, you know, we, we're hoping uh, to limit and to help bring attention to a lot of the, the areas of the world that we are poking our nose in that are going to cause what the CIA calls blowback. The CIA warns against this all the time, uh, but the politicians don't seem to heed the warning. And it cost us. It's cost us before. It cost us during 9-11. You know, we were, uh, we were over there interfering in Iraq. We were over there interfering in the Middle East constantly. And it caused blowback. You make people hate you when you interfere. I mean, it's just like, uh, for instance, if if you were to if China were to come over here today and start interfering in, in our affairs and start uh, building bases or cutting off supply chains, we would want to attack them. It's natural, and it happens in our in our military, sadly. Um, and I hope that we can we can bring light to that. Um, those are great priorities. I want to talk to you about food costs a little bit because uh, I think it kind of affects middle America a little bit more. I know it affects Ohio and I think uh, that's going to become a real problem. So what are your thoughts on food costs? Because I, you know, you hear a lot of people are not eating so their kids can eat. And I think that's a very real thing. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? And if, if it's not a, a very real thing, uh, if there, there, or if there's not a large amount of that happening now, it's going to happen uh, mm-hmm. because we are getting, it is getting worse. Um, you know, even here, just even before Ukraine had, and Russia had, had started having conflict, gas prices were already up 33% here in my state. They're up much further now. Uh, so people, people are really losing out, uh, you know, on money wise just to drive to work. So we don't live in a place where you just go to work 15 minutes away. Most of these people that where I live, they have to drive 45 minutes to an hour to work. That's just how it works in these big country areas, these rural, and that's very costly. So, you know, you're talking about people who are spending uh, $60 every three days for gas. I mean, that's a pretty outrageous amount for us because we are a lower uh, wage I know that there's a, when I say that people that are from other areas will be like, well, that doesn't seem like that much, but you also have to understand that job, the way we get paid is much lower in our, in our district than most places. We're one of the, sadly, we're one of the most poor districts uh, in Missouri. Oh, wow. Okay. And then uh, I have heard that food costs could go up 
up to like a thousand dollars more a month. And I just know that that's, I mean, that's a lot of money for, for people, a thousand dollars. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and one of the things is we have these politicians, uh, for instance, my opponent, he, you know, he goes around, he travels to all these small towns in eighth district and he talks about inflation and food costs and gas prices. And he rails on and he, you know, he asked, let's raise money so I can, I can go back and take it to the, to the left and fix these issues. But the problem is, is that he votes to implement these, the spending that causes the food rise to rise, the, the gas prices to rise. He's, he's taking part. And I don't think he understands because his economics is just not very sound. And a lot of politicians have this issue. I don't think that a lot of people understand how, how bad they are devaluing the dollar by this excessive printing. Um, what, um, what, who is your favorite representative in Congress right now and why? And we know it's not Smith, so that one can be taken out. <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, you know, I will say this, Smith isn't the worst. He isn't the worst out there, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of things that he just doesn't align with our district at this time anymore. You know, he's just, he, uh, he's been in Washington too long. The Washington has rubbed off on him. So I don't want to get into the habit of just, you know, he's the worst. He's not the worst. There's much worse out there, but, uh, Washington has rubbed off on him. Uh, my favorite would either, it'd be between two people. It'd be either Thomas Massey or it would be Rand Paul. Okay. And, oh, and, and why, and why, because oh, yeah, yeah, why? Th- Th- Thomas Massey is willing to make hard decisions, even if he knows that it isn't going to make him look good or the, that the other side or his own side will use it against him as a, it, be able to, to say, look, you know, he's uh, voting to not send money to Ukraine. You know, he, he doesn't care about those people. Well, that's not it. He does care about those people, but he also knows that his oath to office is to protect our people. And protecting our economy so that our people can eat is a very important thing. You know, and Rand Paul, you know, he, he holds the higher echelon accountable. He's willing to ask the hard questions of those people that normally can get away with it without it being noticed. He's willing to go in and ask and bring attention to some of the major issues that are going on. And from what I understand, Rand Paul, or he has a nonprofit, right? I don't know about, I don't know about that. I do know that he is, he is a doctor. Okay. But he's been pretty good to you, right? And supportive or. Well, we've had, you know, these are the kind of, these are the guys that I'm speaking of now who I will be working alongside. We'll be grouped together. You know, we'll be, I mm-hmm. guess you'd say caucused, right? Mm-hmm. So um, more so his father, he, 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 although he's not in uh, politics anymore, you know, I've been the student of his father, Ron, for many, many years. Um, so that's, you know, that's what I'll be bringing to office is, is that Ron Paul philosophy. So Very we're going to, cool. we're going to do a lot of good things. Oh, I know you are that I'm so, not, I'm not worried about. Um, are you willing to work across the aisle with Democrats? I am on single issue coalitions. So that this is an idea that was brought up uh, around 2008. Uh, they became really strong. I believe in single issue coalitions. And what that means is, is that if I can advance my my beliefs of what we're trying to accomplish here in eighth district you know what what my people want if we can move forward together then i'm willing to work with you on that specific uh issue the problem is is that people will throw a a handful of issues in and then they'll want you to compromise Mm -hmm. but 
we can get so much more accomplished because we, there are a lot of things that everybody agrees on. Mm-hmm. The sad thing is those things don't ever get fixed because people bring in these hot button issues. I say that we, we can work together on issues. We both agree. So we don't have to sacrifice our principles and we advance our country into a, in, in a better direction. And I want to talk about a couple hot issues right now. What are your thoughts on the current Roe versus Wade situation? Do you think that should be uh, taken down to the state level? Or what are your thoughts on, are you pro-life? Are you, of course you're pro-life, but. Right, yeah, so. <laughs> dumb question. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, you know, that's that's not really a dumb question at all. You know, I think that uh, for me, giving power to the states is always the best idea because that's the way it was supposed to be in the beginning. Our states were supposed to have the authority to govern themselves and to uh, dictate how, how we, as in because, because Missouri is not like California. We're much different people. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I lived in California for years. Absolutely. Different. Really different. Right. And I want, I once heard uh, a, a gentleman from Australia. He's a, he's a media reporter. And he once said, he goes, there's no wonder that America can't get along with each other. He said, you have 50 different countries making up one. He goes, if you've ever been there, they're all there. Each state is like a different country. And it's true. You can't expect Missouri to live by the same uh, standards that that California, nor can you expect California to want to live like Florida. We're just all different people. And that if you give the power back to the state, you allow people to be more happy because they get to live like uh, according to their value system. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that's a great answer. Well, you're not robbing people of of their freedom to to make a choice either, because uh, their California is always uh, going to be there. Right. Uh, you know, Florida is always going to be there. So you have an opportunity to go to, uh, to a state for whatever it is that you're looking for. Uh, it's just that Missouri doesn't want to take part. Okay. And, uh, let's talk about, you are a veteran. I'm a veteran. Let's talk about veterans and a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, candidates and, uh, current congressmen talk a lot about, you know, the suicide issue, the homelessness issue, fixing the VA, and they don't really bring any solutions to the table besides maybe like increasing funding for mental health care. Uh, what are some of the things that you're actually going to do to, to improve the situation? And also coming from a veteran, um, I feel right. like a different perspective on it. Right. Well, I think that our number three goal of limiting foreign intervention and starting to get people out of senseless conflict is what will drastically change this concept. Because why do we take our best and we put them in positions? Uh, for instance, Afghanistan. We got to a point where we knew there was no win in Afghanistan. They left all our gear there. They Now the enemy's more uh, armed than they were before we went in. They feel like they got a victory. So now it's emboldened them, right? Mm -hmm. So why did we send our men and our women, our bravest, to go lose arms, to to get injuries that you can see, some that you cannot? They come back home. They're suffering from depression, PTSD. We should limit those conflicts so that people can live out productive, healthy uh, lives where they can be happy. And to serve we should not abuse patriotism. We should utilize it whenever it comes and it's needed. When the wolf is at the door and we have no other option, I am for defending this nation, obviously, right? So I would, and I would do it again. I would go back and fight for this country in a heartbeat. The occasion has to be right. It has to be a just war, a just conflict. We can't keep sticking our nose in, every, in everybody else's business 
and then recklessly allowing our troops to take the brunt of the damage. So that's that's number one. Second, and I think that this is a, so this is something I talked with a young lady in uh, Donovan, Missouri, at the last rally. What we hope to do is build a better transition process for mm-hmm. veterans as they go from the veteran or go from the military active service member or reserve into their uh, civilian veteran status. Because a lot of the problems that we run into is is I can speak from for myself. Here you have been surrounded by the by your best friends mm-hmm. for eight years, people yeah. at your age. Uh, who have you've bonded with through some of the most stressful and hard times you've suffered together. Mm-hmm. You, you can't get any closer. You have a support group. So at any time you can look to your friend and tell them the troubles that you're going through and you all can solve it together. You work through it together because you're, you're, you're a family, but then it comes time to get out. And these, these Marines, these, these sailors army, they come back home. Now they're in Wapapello, Missouri. They're sitting in their house out in the woods. There's nobody, you know, nobody around. And they're left with their thoughts. They don't have their support group. They haven't been taught how to cope with the things that they've dealt with. Mm-hmm. A lot of them don't, don't want to talk about the issues that they were dealing with inside service or after deployment because they don't want to be marked in a bad way. They don't want to uh, maybe possibly have their Second Amendment infringed upon. Mm-hmm. You know, these are people that went and fought for their rights. They don't want those stripped away. So mm-hmm. they just, they, they stay silent. And because we punish people for trying to seek help in this country, mm-hmm. it cost us. It cost, cost us our, some of our greatest people. I feel that we have to build a better transition period. We have to not punish people for seeking help. Obviously, if someone's seeking help, that they, they, they realize that there's an issue and they want better. We should strive to help those people. You know, if, if we put our people in unnecessary positions and they, it costs them uh, or it damages or traumatized, we have to fix that as a country. We've caused that, you know, we've asked for them to serve. They've done, they've done the most brave act. They've went out there and put their life on the line. They signed the contract and they were willing to, to give their life for this country. We have to protect them. We have to take care of them and we have to make sure they get the treatment needed. Yeah, I often thought about maybe like them do, I don't know if this would help that much, but them doing a mental health assessment prior to leaving the service um, to kind of gauge where they're at. Uh, but I don't know if that would work. Um, but I've been out for like eight years and it's very isolating. Um, you don't trust the people around you because they don't have the same, um, well, they don't have the same work ethic. They, they don't have the same camaraderie and you're not bonding by sitting in an office like you are, you know, bonding by going to Afghanistan. So it- yeah, it's 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 not that they don't have work ethic. It's just it's it's a different type, right? Yeah. Like we we we're just willing to we're That's willing. We we just it's a hard thing to explain, but I, but I know what you're talking about. You yeah, know? it's just different. Everybody right. goes home at night. You don't live together, like you know, base housing, right. and you don't live together on deployment. So yeah, I'm not saying that our civilians are right. Not, yeah, not hardworking, but it's a different kind of work. That yeah, a correction there. Um, all right, let's talk one more topic, and then I'll let you speak on whatever I missed. Um, what about? Well, I too. Let's talk about wokeness in the military, and your thoughts on wokeness. I'm not a fan of wokeness in anything, and especially not the military. I think that uh, we we should not soften, we should not soften the the spear in which protects us. Right, soft metal is not good metal to fight with. Uh, we have to maintain strength 
and we have to, and, you know, I, although I'm not for foreign intervention and I'm not for going out and causing conflict, Mm -hmm. I am for having a very strong military that can protect us at any time and be, be very effective. And I'm also not for tying their hands when you send them to a foreign country. If you send them into a combat zone, you have to allow them to work. You can't pile all these rules of engagement on them where you lock them down and they get shot at and it's got to be so much time and they got to make sure, you know, if it's war, it's war. You know, there's a difference between uh, brutality and just excessiveness. And then there's a difference between being able to accomplish your job. And we have both seen it where you get overseas and your hands are tied. And it's like, what are we doing here? Well, we're doing presence patrols. That's, I didn't come here to do presence patrol. I came here to accomplish the mission. Yeah. And presence patrols make you very weak because you're dependent on the country that you're in to, to run the patrols. And that's gotta be a really horrible feeling. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, unnecessary uh, time that people have spent overseas and put themselves in danger for, for politicians to get involved with the conflict that they know nothing about. Most of them haven't served in service. They're just war hawks for these companies that, that make up the military industrial complex. And uh, they're just looking to get some campaign funds. Uh, so they complicate the matters. They, they think they're helping, but they're, they're not. I think that's the, one of the very important, uh, that's one of the important reasons why uh, we should have more military members in Congress, especially when those are the people that should decide whether we declare war or not. Yeah. We need people that understand the cost of war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And last topic, second amendment. I think we already know, but please expand, expand on your second amendment thoughts. I love the second amendment. I think it's the most important amendment. I always say this because it allows us to protect the others from the government overstepping. You know, uh, I feel like you uh, and, and anyone else in this nation has a right to defend themselves and protect themselves. And I know I'm a front, I'm a front, uh, a first responder. I'm, I, I work on an ambulance. I, I go to these scenes and even police will tell you it's going to be time before they make it to the scene. A lot of times, by the time we make it, the, the damage, the, the assault, the murder, they've all already occurred. We're just there to, to try to salvage what we can or to clean up what we can. It's uh, you are the first act in defense as an American, you have that amendment to protect yourself, to defend yourself. And, and I think that everybody should utilize it, go out and get the proper training, mm-hmm. learn the weapon safety rules, but I don't go, I don't go anywhere without, without a gun. You know, I always have a gun, even, you know, sitting here at, right now, I, I, I carry a gun on me 24 seven always will. It's you know, you, I feel like we are a much safer nation being prepared And when you see things that happen, like in Buffalo, New York, where a crazy person goes in and shoots unarmed civilians, what a coward. Let me tell you this, that that guy wouldn't last too long in Missouri, you know, because we value the Second Amendment. We have something called the Second Amendment Preservation Act, which limits the federal government from coming in and implementing uh, Second Amendment laws on us or by by dwindling our rights. We're protecting those here in Missouri. We're one of the... um, yeah, we're very, very free state, and we're going to get a whole lot more free. <laughs> Your district is, right? <laughs> my, district, my district, and I will work with leaders all across the state to make sure that we achieve our goals of maximizing liberty, peace, and prosperity through strict adherence of individual liberty. You know Love I mean? it. Sounds so, like you got that down, but I know you truly believe that. I believe it 100%. 
did I miss any topics today that you would like to go over? No, I, I, I'm just glad I had an opportunity to, uh, to see you and speak with you. You know, it's always good. And uh, I look forward to coming back to Washington and, and, and seeing you again, for sure. So Yeah, you let me know when you want to come because it's always exciting to have you. Um, please tell our listeners and your listeners what, where they can find you. We know you're not taking donations, but where they can find you, the website and your Facebook page. Right. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at uh, Jacob Turner for 8th District Congress. You can find me on Instagram at Jacob Turner for Liberty. And Facebook is jacobturner.nationbuilder.com. So we are not accepting donations. However, if you would do so, if you live in the district and you watch this, help spread this message. Uh, help share this. Help help get the, the news out that there is two names on the ballot in August 2nd. And uh, I, I would appreciate your vote. All so. right. We'll be watching you closely. And thank you, Mr. Turner, for your time. Thank you, ma'am. I'm grateful. All right. Have a nice day.